Musician Mindset is a conversation series that extracts the performance and preparation thought process from world-class musicians, leaving you with wisdom and exercises to level up your musical journey. Our guest today is Nomad, the career musician. Nomad is an artist, career guitarist, and composer. His musical style, much like his Cuban-Italian heritage, is a hybrid of genres touching on everything from pop, rock, Latin, soul, classical, and jazz. Nomad's guitar-based compositions are in circulation in over 200 films, television shows, commercials, and chart-topping albums. While he remains an artist and composer first, Nomad also operates as the musical director and guitarist for world-renowned Grammy Award-winning artist and songwriter Kenny Babyface Edmonds. He hosts a podcast called The Career Musician as one of the hardest-working musicians in the industry. Let's welcome him to the show. Welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you with Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. Glad so to be here. Let's, uh, let's take it all the way back to the beginning. So can you recall mm-hmm. your very first live performance? Yes, I can. Uh, I was probably 15, and uh, I played in a metal band. And uh, for all the live streamers out there, <laughs> I did the metal horns. Um, I had a band called Malachi. It was a, a Christian heavy metal band based on Long Island, New York, with all my boys. Greg Tellison played the bass, Mike Filippi on guitar, Adam Dunn on drums, God rest his soul. Um, and we we had a gig we would always practice in my dad's basement in my parents basement or garage we moved around a lot so about every year we would have a new practice space either in a garage or a basement which was totally fine with me i would always commandeer that space and it would be mine so every saturday i would make sure we did band rehearsal i was a drill sergeant we did band rehearsal for at least eight hours i would make the guys bring their bagged lunches be like, we're not, we're not dicking around. We're not yeah. doing anything. We're focusing. We're practicing. That was probably when I was 14. Uh, so my dad saw that diligence, and he said, you know what? I'm, I have a grand opening of this business I'm doing. Why don't you guys play the party? So like I said, I think I was 15, you know, and I was the band leader, quote unquote. You yeah. know? So I was like, guys, we're going to do this. We're going to knock it out. Great. And I said, whatever money we make from the gig... We're gonna put it together, put you know, pool it for a PA system because we need a PA. You know, at this point we only had amps and we only had backline. You, know? you didn't know yet that band leaders take fifty percent off the top. Yeah, see, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So we played in this little tiny cafe. It was a French bistro cafe. It was right above the business that my dad was opening. Uh, it was out in Cold Spring Harbor, Long Island. Beautiful part of town, really cool and vibey. But the place was tiny. My parents packed it out maybe at least probably you know 60 people in this tiny little place uh and we're playing metal we're playing heavy metal so like the, the you know the demographic was maybe you know late 30s to you know early 60s and we're playing metal <laughs> it was great we did the gig it was a blast my dad passes the hat so we get all this money right i think collectively collectively maybe we got 100 bucks or less somewhere around there we go outside, we're all high, you know, on the vibes. We're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. We're just coming off this amazing performance high. And I said, all right, guys, so we're going to take the money, we're going to put it into an account, and we're going to get a PA. And the drummer was like, hell no, we're not doing that. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? We talked about this. He's like, dude, it's December. 
I'm taking my share and buying my mom a Christmas present. I was like, man, forget your mom. She doesn't need a Christmas <laughs> present. That was our first gig. <laughs> my first gig. Oh, man. There's a lot to unpack there. That's really cool. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to be so long. No, it was great. No, it's, it's really, really cool. So let's start with um, the uh, the feeling when you're up on stage, right? You've, everything's set up. Yeah. It's right before you uh, you hit that first downbeat. How are you feeling? Uh, you still get some nerves, definitely. You know, mm-hmm. always have nerves. I think uh, any great performer will tell you, any good, any performer will tell you, um, if you don't have the nerves, then you're not you're not doing it right. <laughs> because you have to pour your heart and soul into it. You have to bear your soul when you're doing these things. And uh, that's why you get nervous, because you're at your most most vulnerable state. So I think when you're younger and, and you haven't, logged as many performance hours the nervous energy can be perhaps even higher right as you go on you get more experience i think that subsides a little bit but that in your core there's still that nervous energy so there's definitely that before i go on even to this day um i just want to do my best i want to make sure i knock it out of the park um might i say on that point if you're ever on stage and you're looking at the audience wondering what they're thinking stop that's the kiss of death don't do that don't concern yourself with what people sh- watching your show are thinking because right. then you're getting inside your own head right. and now you're, it's totally counterintuitive to what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Have you ever experienced that? Like, like as you were coming up, were you in a situation before where you, where you did make that uh, thought error? So much, so much. I, w- I would think, wow, wh- why are they looking at me like that? Am I, do I look fat on stage? Am I, am I moving funny? Am I doing, you know, like you think all these stupid things and your head, your brain, I'm telling you, man, your imagination can run wild. Right. You know, uh, did they not like the solo I took? Did they think that, you know what I'm saying? So that's silly. So yes, I've experienced that. Um, you just have, you have to, all that internal chatter, you have to shut out. You really have to put your blinders on, focus on the task at hand, which is doing your best, putting forth your best performance. Can we unpack how you learned that lesson? Um, I think it's 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 honestly over time. Um, I believe that experience carries a lot of weight. So each experience you have, you learn something different. So that one time when I was thinking, oh, am I this, am I that? Do they this, do they that? I was like, okay, hmm. At the end of the day, I had five people come up to me and tell me, wow, that was great. So what was I thinking? I don't know. So you learn from experience. You say, oh, okay, so that's not, the, that's not the case. Perhaps another time you might learn something different when the, the artist up front, if you're a side man, like if you're playing in the band, the backing band, the artist up front calls you up for a solo and you go up and you start playing and the people just erupt with applause, right? Then you say to yourself, oh, take note. They're not sitting here thinking about anything other than how much they're enjoying this show. So, you know, silly. You, you kind of knock yourself in the head. And you say, see, stop it. There's nothing to trip over. Why are you, you know, why are you getting yourself in a tizzy? Well, I think our, our human nature can tend to think that we have to prove ourselves to the audience, whereas you learn with experience that really the audience is starting out on your side and wants you to do well and wants you to succeed. And as soon as you can embrace that attitude, that everyone's already on your side. You don't really have to like win them over most of the time. 
Well said. All Dave. you have to do, it's yours to lose. They paid their money to see you play. They want to see you do a good job. That's it. Just go out and do your thing. That's it. And there, there is always going to be, you know, a small percentage of people, arms crossed, right. funny look on their face, like, what the heck is this? Why am I here? Maybe their parents made them come. Maybe their spouse or <laughs> friend made them come against their will. Maybe they're just grumpy people in general. <laughs> yeah. But you can't let that small percentage affect your overall. And you can't, I like what you said too, that you can't let the audience reaction affect you because another thing that I think you learn with experience is like, it's different touring in Europe. It's different touring on the East Coast. It's different touring on the West Coast. Audiences are going to respond differently just on like a baseline cultural level. But then you talk to people, you could go somewhere and everyone's like frozen and just staring at you. And then you come off stage, you're like, that was the best show I've ever seen. You're like, really? Because it looked like you hated it. Didn't it didn't look like yeah. you. <laughs> There, but that's there's, an, exactly there's those stories of, of the first time led zeppelin played in japan right and the audience sat down the entire show and just yes. properly right clapped at the end of every performance You're like yeah you just heard stairway to heaven for the yeah. first time you know they're, i was gonna, they're acting like they're at a symphony or something. yeah yeah right yeah. i was gonna bring that up japan uh is a, is a very conservative audience mm -hmm. by nature mm -hmm. and instinctively that's their culture mm -hmm. so i've played in japan at least a dozen times and every time they are just going to be sitting and watching and you're thinking oh my gosh mm -hmm. are they at a funeral or a concert <laughs> you know? yeah. and then all of a sudden they'll, they'll start clapping but at the end they'll stand up and give you a 10 minute up uh, standing ovation right you know so you just don't know yeah mm -hmm. can't judge in, in those moments where, where the audience is unpredictable and, and you've had a ton of live experience uh, are there any uh, points during that situation where you are feeling uncomfortable on stage? Or are you just so rooted in I'm executing my job and I'm fighting off any kind of uh, story I might be telling myself? Right. Right. Uh, that's a good way of putting it. The story you're telling yourself, your imagination. Yes, I've, I've experienced it. So the, what you have to do if you succumb to that internal uh, imaginationary, imaginative chatter... You have to stop, you have to realize it and hit the stop button, reset, right? And you have to take the performance from horizontal and you have to steer it vertical. So now you're not performing for the people. You have to stop, stop performing for the people. You're not there to perform for the people. First of all, you're one of many, typically. You might be a solo artist, that's a little different. But typically you're in a band setting. So you're one of four or five or six or more. So it's a group effort. Mm -hmm. So stop thinking that everybody's focusing on you. You're really not that important. <laughs> you know, that'll help take yeah. some of that negative uh, nervous energy off of you. Mm -hmm. But then perform vertically. And what I mean by that, is there's like the, the story of, of the muse, right? The, the Greek goddesses that comprise the muse. And the muse brings to us this creative energy, right? And, and, and I think there's seven of them. And they, bring, they each have a different angle of, of, of creative uh, energy that they pour into the vessel, okay? Well, it's always my uh, desire to connect with the muse. Now, I don't get deep into it, you know, detailed, but I want to connect vertically. So I want to just let the creative energy come from above and pour into me. I'm just a vessel. Now, I don't care if you're Buddhist, if you're Christian, if you're Hindu, what you believe, or if you're agnostic. I don't care what you are. You have to acknowledge that there's some kind of greater presence uh, in, in, this, in this atmosphere. And if you just believe um, that it comes from our 
environment and it comes from the trees and then great and this, but still there's a presence connect to that presence mm -hmm. connect to that go vertical mm -hmm. so stop looking at the people in the audience now i contradict myself because a lot of times i like to connect with audience people but you can't do that until you've developed enough confidence yeah so and there's a difference between you're connecting with them already from a place of confidence and comfort you're not looking at them for approval there's a difference there huge difference yeah Right, because you're trying to get, have them experience what you're talking about experiencing, right. like this vertical uh, feeling. Right. Yeah, really right. cool. So uh, can we go – you good right now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm really interested in talking about your preparation, right? Like we, we ask you, okay, you know, tell us about the, the first gig, and you go to, well, my band was practicing eight hours a day. <laughs> I, I, I get that. You know, like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm right there with yeah. you on that. So uh, – has your your gig preparation changed over time? Um, and if so, how? If not, then yeah. what do you find successful about what you're doing? Yes and no. It's changed and it hasn't. For instance, I'm in a band right now with my wife, my better half, and it's just a duo. It's just two of us, right? Um, however, I control a lot of these digital electronic tracks, and I was doing it with a looper pedal. For many years, for like five years. And then I felt like I reached uh, my plateau with the looper pedal. I couldn't take that any further. So then I migrated my system over to Ableton Live, which if any listeners out there or viewers know, it's, it's a great uh, DAW, Digital Audio Workstation. Um, and it allows you to loop sections. So I've been implementing that slowly. So now I'm back into many hours logged of preparation. Like I'm constantly in there working on it, and I'm I'm telling I'm telling Lola I'm saying hey she's like okay can we do this I'm like ah I need a little more time I gotta fix this I gotta get this just right and then sometimes she'll remind me hey I know you're a perfectionist I think it's really good you know and then I'm like okay <laughs> so my point is yes sometimes I can go over the top and put in so many uh, man hours of preparation sometimes I work with another band another artist named Babyface. For him, my guitar preparation is very minimal because I'm also his music director. So I'm his band leader. Fancy term for band leader, music director. So now I, you know, I put the band together. It's a seven-piece band. I have to oversee all of the members and make sure that we all perform as a unit cohesively every time we perform. I also have to make sure that all the technical aspects are right. I communicate extremely... Uh, uh, <laughs> my goal is to communicate extremely effectively with each band member and each person on the production team. That's a different kind of prep. So I'm not s sitting there prepping tracks and working on guitar parts. I'm prepping show order with the boss. So Babyface and I sit down before a show. Here's the set list. What do you think? Okay, we're going oh, to do this. We're going to move this around. So that's a different kind of prep. You know, um, so yeah, prep is definitely it, it abounds in all <laughs> in all various forms. Uh, sometimes more than others, but it's not always sitting with your guitar learning the songs. Because I do some music directing as well. One of my best friends is a music director I work with a lot, and we have the same conversation. Like it's amazing when you're in that role how little you're actual playing. That's oh. like 10% max of your brain power. Yes, I'm so glad There's you so said that. There's so many other factors you're having uh, to think about. I'm so glad you said that. As, as a music director, the, your primary instrument is, I would say, 10 to 20% of, yep. your, of your focused energy. Yep. Absolutely. Um, 
it is about pulling the unit together. It's just like if you're the coach on a team, or rather, if you're a section leader in a big band, right? Yep. You know. Yep. Uh, so that. So but having true. said that, your technical ability and command of your instrument has to be a given because you're not going to even be allowed to devote any brain power to that. Your own playing has to just be there unspoken so that you can think about putting out all these other fires on the stage. I mean, you you, you said it. Yeah. The, all I can do is say yes. <laughs> I agree yeah. with you 1,000%. Yeah. Yes, that is on point. How long have you been with Babyface? Uh, 11 years now. 11 years. Wow, yeah. That's killer, yeah. man. So, so that, this is before your time, but the 97 unplugged New York City record, right. Ricky Lawson. Right. One of my favorite albums yeah, of totally. all time. And then Nathan East, Clapton. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 What awesome. a great record. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we still play Change the World from yeah. time to time. What a great yeah. song. So you said you put the band together. Yes. So when you're, when you're selecting musicians, what are you looking for? Um, to be quite honest with you, the first thing I'm looking for is a great outlook on life. A great attitude. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get guys or girls who, or, you know, people who have bring negative energy and i and i you know <laughs> a common uh saying right now is good vibes good vibes good vibes we want to put out good vibes and i hate to sound so cliche but that's what we want yep. we don't want any bad vibes and that just means that you have to have a positive outlook man you know look when you're on the road some nights you're going to get two hours of sleep some nights you're going to get zero sleep so you have to find ways to Put that, build that sleep into your schedule wherever you can, mm -hmm. on a bus, on a plane, in transit, backstage, wherever. When you are sleep deprived, the, your, the, the chemicals in your body, they go nuts. Like you, all, everything in your body shuts down. It's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. So now you're, you're, you have all these things working against you. You have to have a really strong uh, determination to say, you know what? Even though I'm sleep deprived, I'm mm -hmm. starving, or I don't feel this, or I don't feel that. I'm still going to be a nice person. Yep. I'm not going to snap at the other band members. I'm not going to treat the bellman at the hotel like a jerk just because I think I'm entitled. I'm not going to say, oh, I, I, I'm the most important musician on the stage. I'm going to play all all the stuff that I want to play. I'm going to show off with all my licks and tricks. That's not what it's about. Yep. I'm so. glad you said that too because. As a music director who is in the position of hiring people from time to time, you you have to consider, especially if in a, it's in a touring scenario, you're you're going to be on stage for ninety minutes, and you're going to be with that person off stage for twenty two and a half hours. That's right. You know what I mean. So like, it's <laughs> yeah. almost more important. And I would take everyone who's listening who is aspiring to like get a tour or do some great gigs or whatever. People think if I just am the most kick-ass musician I can possibly be, I'll get all the gigs. Right. And I think that's important. I love that you said that. It's important for people to realize, like for us who hire people, I would choose a potentially lesser musician who is easier to be around and who's right. a team player. That's and right. And who will be contributing to the greater good. That's it. I think, I think also you have to compare apples to apples, okay? So whether you have green apples, red apples, Macintosh, Granny Smith, whatever – you got to stay within that same vein. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, if you're a garage band and you just started out and you and your buddies and you're 13 to 16 years old, right? All those musicians aren't going to be the best musicians right. in the game. They're just not. But you want to be able to get the best musicianship at that level with the best attitude, mm -hmm. right? And then as you go up the ladder, you just follow that same 
trend. So it doesn't matter if you're in the high school jazz band or now, wait a minute, you're in the college band. Oh, wait a minute. Now you're actually touring professionally as a career musician, mm -hmm. earning real money from it. So you're not going to get the, let's say, you, Steve Eyes and, and you know, uh, John Patitucci's and Virgil Donati's. Mm -hmm. Not everybody's going to be at that level. They don't need to be. Right. As long as they reach, you know, 50 to, to 80 percent of that high quality upper echelon musicianship, they're workable. Yeah. You can work with that. The most important part is the demeanor, the personality, the characteristics, who they are as a person. Mm -hmm. And that will come out on stage. Yep. If they're a, a good person, it's going to come out in their music. Sure. You know. Yep. So if there's a young musician listening, how can they audit themselves to make sure that they do have those characteristics so that maybe they can get a gig? Yes. Self-auditing is probably, I love mm -hmm. the way you put that. That is most the most important aspect of what we do as musicians, as creative beings. First of all, as creative being, beings, we're all narcissistic by nature. We love to just, oh, I want to be, man, man, I look good right there. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But then there's the flip side of that. Then we're really hard on ourselves. Man, I sucked that night. Oh, that photo doesn't look good. Oh, this and that. So we have this interesting dichotomy that we balance back and forth. So right there, we're a little unstable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how do we deal with this in self-audit? Find stability. Where do you find stability? In accountability. What does accountability mean? It means you find a buddy a friend, a family member, somebody that you can talk to the most, it has they have to be the confident, the most personal, personal, vulnerable stuff that you can chop it up with them in conversation on a, on a regular basis, semi-regular basis, that they're gonna hold you accountable. Yo man, I really love the way you play, but I'm gonna be honest with you, on that gig last night, you acted like a complete jerk. Well, oh, what do, you, what do you mean? Well, you came in late, you came in with this attitude, you were playing louder than everybody else, blah, blah, blah. Oh shoot, man, I'm sorry. And then you have to be willing mm -hmm. to hear it from that person. Right. So whoever that person is or that little faction of people, you have to trust them. And that is the best way to self-audit. So it's really not self-auditing. It's taking uh, a survey of those around you whom you love and respect and look up to and let them shine the light back on you. And then you could self-audit with those tools. Now, what I'm saying sounds drastic. It's not always going to be that drastic. And I'm looking at the live stream. I want everybody to know it's not going to be that drastic. Um, sometimes it could be the smallest things. Sometimes it works in the opposite. Man, I, I was terrible last night. I was, man, the worst solo I could have ever took. And then when the band leader called that, I missed the bridge. And, you know, and then your buddy, maybe he's in the band with you, says, you know what, dude? I didn't even know you messed up. Oh, really? Yeah. And if I didn't know you messed up and yeah. I'm in the band with you, yeah. I doubt they, the audience knew you messed So, you know, maybe it's yep. that. So oh, perhaps it's going to be another band member. Perhaps it's not. Perhaps it's a parent or someone else. Mm -hmm. But you got to be willing to put yourself in that situation. And I feel like a lot of young musicians, they're just thinking technically, oh. right? Or or about gear. And it's like this this stuff, the mindset stuff is, I think, more important to train than than your fingers because you know anybody can learn an instrument um right. you know then there's that next level of playing with emotion which is harder to conquer but then there's playing with emotion and being aware of yourself and how the vibe you're putting off is affecting other people and that's really the missing element in do you get a gig or don't you um so you have to be willing to to go there and and you know face what you're really about like what you stand for and that's you know, going to improve your game. And I feel like it also helps improve your playing. 
Mm. You know, because when when you can take the critique, you know, then yeah. you're going to be w- willing to take the critique of your playing just the same and look at your playing from a different angle. Um, or like productions, you know, if you're a producer or whatnot, like mm. listening to feedback on mixes and whatnot. So mm. it's just being willing to get uncomfortable yeah. and not feel like you have everything, you know. Because it's easier to for especially younger players, like in your example after the gig you get pulled aside hey man you were too loud you overplayed yeah. whatever yeah. and the instinct is like what do you what do you know what do you, what do you know? that sounded great you know <laughs> but to be the kind of guy who go oh my gosh really thank yeah. you for telling me that that's right. really like the separating right there's how you receive that criticism i have a great story i was on tour with a group of older musicians it was called guitars and saxes and basically it's a contemporary jazz kind of uh, format or also known as smooth jazz it was a couple guitar players and a couple sax players who are all artists in their own right. And uh, we went on tour since 1999. It was my first professional tour as a career musician. And uh, one of the guitar players who was a leader, you know, one of the artists, featured artists, I was just in the backup band. He heard me warming up at Soundcheck and I was playing some Van Halen and just playing some rock stuff. Now the demographic is jazz, contemporary jazz. So he didn't like the fact that I was playing so loudly mm-hmm. at Soundcheck. So he said something. He said, you know, uh, is that really necessary? Blah, 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 blah. And, and I got so offended. Here I am. I was probably 22, 23, maybe 24. And I was got so offended. And I was like, man, F this. You know, throw down my axe. I'm like, screw this. This is my, you know, and the, the tour manager came over to me and said, hey, what's going on? Man, he told me. He's like, all right. Uh, okay. I could see both sides. First of all, maybe that guy, yeah, he's a little older. Cut him some slack. Maybe he's a little grumpy. Maybe he just doesn't like loud rock and roll music. After all, you got hired to play on a jazz tour. And I was like, oh. And then and then number two, he goes, I could see your side too. You were just noodling, getting your amp opened up, starting to you know warm up. That's cool too. I was like, so what are you saying? He's like, I'm not saying anything. I'm saying just, he said, basically, use your mind. Use your own discernment. Uh-huh. Right. Figure out there, buddy. I just gave you both sides. Now find the middle right. and draw your own conclusion. So I had to do that. But thank God I had somebody like him to tell me that. Instead, it could have been the next day, call the tour manager, call management. Hey, that guy, I'm, yeah, get rid of him. Let's replace him. I don't yeah. want him. And then you're gone. And that does happen, folks. So you guys both said a lot of times as younger players were caught up in the technique, the shredability, <laughs> the gear, and all that. That's such a small percentage. Again, it's about being a good overall package, the whole thing. You have to contain everything. And then having all of those playing abilities transfer from your soul, from your heart. I always say music hits you directly at the core of your soul. Again, I don't care what you believe. But you have a soul, whether you realize it or not. It hits you right there. Because that's the thing that's unspoken. It's intangible. You can't put a finger on it. But it gives you goosebumps. Mm-hmm. You can't touch music. Mm-hmm. Nobody in this world can touch music or who has ever existed. But how does it make you feel that way? It's hitting your soul. Mm-hmm. So how do you get to that end game? That's why I love you so much and what you guys are doing. Guitar needs this whole concept of taking the martial arts, uh, you know, uh, philosophy mm-hmm. and applying it to learning music is amazing because the number one thing you're teaching is humility right. and if you look at any athletes or competitors or people in the martial arts field humility is like 99 percent of it 
The 1% is that cockiness with, yeah, I can get up and kick this ass. Yeah, I could, I could throw this ball. I could do that. But everything else is about staying humble. Because you know, right, sitting next to you is a guy or girl who can kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> and sitting on the other side, the same. You never know. It's, it's the, what we call growth mindset, right? And it's just constantly growing, constantly being open to critique and whatnot. I mean, there's so many areas that we can go right now in this I conversation. Yeah. I mean, like, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it can go another hour at least. Um, but let's let's kind of stay on that topic. How are you challenging yourself to grow? Not not like physically, musically, but like mentally, musically. How are you challenging yourself these days? Uh, to to uh, circumvent jealousy with with social media. You could look at Instagram and see ten thousand musicians who can play your ass under the table. We can find it right now. It would take us a couple hours to look up that many. I'm exaggerating, but you can find a lot of musicians <laughs> yeah. who could do stuff technically that you could you can't do. I'm not gonna say you could never do it. It would take so many hours of practice to get to that. But that's what they put in for that. Mm -hmm. But guess what? They didn't put in what you put in for yours, and so on down the line. So number one, I always challenge myself: don't get envious of what this other musician can do. Just be content in your lane and hone and cultivate your skill set and, and do you. Find your voice. Another thing is that, that I teach in the Career Musician podcast and, and what, I stand about, what I stand for and you guys are the same is finding your own voice. As a career musician, again, being a side person playing in a backing band or session musician, we're always finding little nuggets of music that are good for other people for the artists that we're working with, we're backing up. But we never really take the time to cultivate our own voice on our instrument. So if you're a piano player, and you can play any style from Herbie Hancock to, uh, uh, you know, Vince, uh, uh, what's his name, who wrote the, the, the Charlie? Vince Garaldi. Uh, Char yeah, Vince Garaldi. Or you could play like Chopin classical etudes. Or you could play all these different styles, but you never took the time to say, wait a minute, who am I as a piano player? Well, let me start finding it. So that's how I challenge myself. I keep put forget again. Once again, we come back to shutting out the external and all of the imaginative, uh, you know, chatter. Shutting it all out. Put your blinders on. Find you. So that's how I challenge myself. Now it's it's really, in one way, easy to say, okay, put the blinders on. But I know that you put in the work to strengthen that skill and, and we all do that you know like we're all active readers and uh how how are you or what kind of what kind of advice would you give somebody on putting the blinders on strengthening that skill great um set boundaries for yourself uh first of all set a schedule so uh, this okay let's go in order number one just sit down with a pad and paper and write down your goals number two Sit down with that same pad and paper <laughs> and write out an agenda of how you're going to achieve those goals. Number three, sit down and figure out an actual time map. Okay? Put together a timeline of how you're going to attack that agenda to achieve those goals. And lastly, put together a daily schedule and form habits. If you don't have habits, you're going to be flailing in the wind. So we have the habit of brushing our teeth, grooming our bodies, putting on clothes, and eating. Sleeping comes naturally. These habits 
are taught but also natural, right? And that gets us through just enough. But if you want to be successful in life in that you're not just sitting around watching TV and saying, I wish, I wish, I wish, you have to develop habits to take you to that next level. So read. If you don't like reading, we have a great thing now that they're doing audiobooks. They've been doing it for a while. You can get audiobooks online or on apps, okay? If you don't like listening, then go to YouTube. Watch successful people. Watch people in your field who have nailed what you want to do. Watch people in other fields. I love people like Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, mm-hmm. or Tim Ferriss, or even the old school cats, Anthony Robbins. That's what my dad got me started on when I was a young man, a young boy. Uh, the grandfather of motivational speaking, Earl Nightingale. You know, like I love listening to this stuff. And guess what? You know, um, methods always change, right? As, especially as technology changes. The methods will always change. But principles always remain the same. Truth. Mm-hmm. So if, like, I was just talking to my wife this morning. If you think you can or if you think you can't, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Okay? So that premise, that concept has been here on this earth since the beginning of time. And none of us really know the beginning of time. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I just know what I'm dealing with right now. That truth is always going to remain the truth. It's never going to change. So, so listen to stuff. Put in positive energy. Somebody like me, naturally, if I'm left to my own devices, I'm a pessimist. I look at something and say, oh, that's whack. This is whack. That could be better. This sucks. This that's my natural inclination. Why? I have no idea. So what do I do? I counteract it constantly. Well, no, that actually can be like this if you look at it like this. So what I do is I put a lot of positive energy into my soul on a daily basis. Again, I'm not trying to get spiritual here or, or religious. I put it into my brain, into my ears. I watch it. When I work out, I'm work. That's the other thing. Take care of your body. Mm-hmm. Try to work out. If I'm working out this morning, I was on the stationary bike. I only did 30 minutes. I didn't go crazy. But what was I doing? I was on YouTube and on my podcast app and checking out stuff that I want to learn about and just listen to. You know, uh, building wealth, uh, building charitable organizations, you know, learning how to channel energy in different areas, right? So all these things. It's, it's the truth. I mean, you take, take it to uh, food, right? Like you can eat a candy bar and there's that instant gratification, but then later you're going to feel bad. But you can eat vegetables and it feels nourishing, you know? So right. what's the difference of, of flicking through your um, your Instagram feed and that's candy, right? Mind candy. That's or right. investing in listening to something or watching something that's inspirational. I mean, it absolutely works and it's effective. Perfect analogy, bro. So I want to uh, touch on, uh, Dave, you and I were just talking about this this morning about uh, the journal that you were, you're mm-hmm. going, your time management. You want to talk about that for a second for people? Yeah, well, I just started doing a thing called a self journal. Yeah. And it's, I mean, what you just said could have been, they videoed you and took it word for word and put it on their website. Mm-hmm. It literally, it works in 13 week chunks. So mm-hmm. you get four of them a year and you, you say, what do I want to accomplish by 13 weeks from now? And then go, well, what do I have to do this week to do that? What do I have to do today to do that? Let's break my day down into 30 minute increments to get there. And it's, it's exactly right on with what you were saying. And I've just started that. Like I was telling Jason, uh, like less than a week ago, just that level of time management to manage, because for us as freelance mm. people, we don't have a set schedule. 
I think time management is so huge. Paramount. You can have a whole day go by and do nothing. And if do you no- want to. If you wanted to, you could. And, and as a creative, you actually feel like you did do something because your mind has a million creative ideas right. <laughs> during that period. So you feel like you did a lot, right. but you really didn't. You just sat around and thought about stuff. Yeah, yeah. But when, when you start breaking it down to such small increments and attacking a big goal from small, manageable steps... Like I had the day off. I usually have Mondays off. Right. But I feel like I worked all day. I did work all day because I feel like I was on a schedule all day is what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's know? right. And I because I was very meticulous about making sure I did this and you prioritize that way too. That's You're, right. You think about all the things you want to do. I want to work out. I want to practice. I want to read. I want to do this, you know. And yeah. then you can literally look at it and you go, wow, there are plenty of hours in the day when you feel like you never have enough time, when you get specific about it, it's and you look at it in black and white, you're like, wow, there's plenty of hours in the day. And there's nothing wrong with sitting on the couch and watching Netflix for an hour either. But Absolutely. I it do it is, every night with my wife. But it's intentional. It's not like, yes. oh, I should be practicing, but I'm watching Netflix. Right. And so this self-journal, they have what they call a, um, a zero-based calendar. Kind of like how you do a zero-based budget. Mm-hmm. I like that. So there should be no white space in your calendar. Even if it's, not that you can't do anything, but even if it's in the beginning of the day, you go, I'm going to watch Netflix for an hour tonight. Cool. Put it in your calendar. And that's right. the amount of time you allowed for it. That's right. And then it doesn't bleed over into the stuff you need to do. And it's just creating the so, habit of doing that. Yeah. And then it becomes a part of your lifestyle. It, just, just like just brushing like, your teeth. Exactly. You're saying. Yeah. You're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Here comes the problem for... for humans i think because and and i'm I'm guilty of this i really do like to indulge so i love sweets (laughs) so when i'm in new york my hometown and there's this famous bakery that has my favorite cheesecake or my favorite black and white cookie i'm gonna indulge the problem is sometimes when i indulge it's hard to pull it back right i I get caught up in that and i'm like wait a minute no you can't eat like that i eat pizza I'm like, I could eat three pizzas a day and be cool with it, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> New York style, pepperoni, yeah. sausage, grease, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then you realize I just did that to myself this last trip. I ate it for like three days. straight. I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. I feel so awful, right. you know. So I think there's that balance. I love watching people like The Rock or Mark Wahlberg online because those guys are so disciplined or uh, uh, Will Smith. They're so disciplined. But yet they do allow those indulgences, sure. you know, and The Rock posted his cheat meal on Sunday. It was like four or five big trays of sushi, right, with sake, mm-hmm. and then a plate of like 12 giant chocolate chip cookies. I mean, he's a big man. So I'm like, wow. and he's like, yes, I ate all of this. Wow. He's like, if you're not cheating, you're not eating. I'm like, okay, that's interesting, Rock. And that was his Sunday cheat meal. Yeah, but what else is he doing all throughout the week? He's <laughs> up at 4 a.m. Exactly. He does an hour of cardio. Yep. He comes back. He drinks a, a, a special shake. And then he goes back to the gym and does two hours yeah. of weightlifting. And then mm-hmm. he's on set by 7 or 8 a.m. Because the problem is people like, see that post and they're like, oh, if he yeah. does it, I can do it. Right. But like, you got to watch all of his other posts. Exactly. <laughs> right. exactly. Well, it's the discipline breeds success, you know, so yeah, like you get up there and you, and you do it. Yeah. Um, okay, so getting uh, now towards the, the um, final turn here in our conversation, again, we could go on forever. Sure. You know, really, really cool. Um, do want to talk about everything that you're doing. Hmm. Uh, before we get into that, let's go with um, main advice that you would give somebody. So your 22-year-old self coming to Los Angeles, mm. you know, you arrive in town, you can play, 
and uh, you you know a little bit about the mental game that we were talking about and creating the habits what's something a piece of advice that we haven't touched on that you would want to give that person number one know where you want to go and that's what i always talk about as the career musician know your destination okay so if you want to be a professional sideman and back up other artists know that and stick with it if you know oh, i don't like playing other people's music it doesn't fulfill me i'm an artist then go with that now those choices are huge because if you go with i'm an artist you're probably going to have a long period of time where you're going to starve so instead of starving go out and get a job that you can actually work around get a flexible job so that's your first order of business, knowing which path you want to go down and then figuring out how to, how to maintain that. Even as a professional sideman, you're going to need a job in the beginning. So know where you want to go, secure a flexible job, and then start putting together your plan. Write down your goals, put together an agenda, put together a timeline, and then hold yourself to a daily routine with habits, right? Do that first. I promise you, if you do that when you're 22 years old, you're going to come back to me when you're 30 and you're going to be like, no, man, oh my gosh, that was the best advice ever. I'm a millionaire now making music. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I can't promise that, but you, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like you uh, give this kind of advice on a show maybe that you have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that. What are, you, what are you doing right now and where can people find you? Yeah, so uh, the Career Musician Podcast, it's a podcast that's on all of season one, has 16 episodes. It's on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean.com, and also Podbean has an app. Basically, I'm, I'm, I want to teach the young, aspiring group of up-and-coming professional musicians how to do this for real. So how do I do that? Well, I interview other career musicians. I coined the term. I think career musician is just that. I was in a, uh, a forum one day, and they said, so what do you do? I said, well, I'm a career guitarist, a career musician. Everybody turned around like, what the heck is that? Please explain. Okay, well, it just means you make music for a living. You know, uh, There's ways to do it right. You can do it. So listen to these podcasts. You're going to gather all this information from all these other professionals, my colleagues and peers, and they're going to give you little gems of, of inspiration and knowledge that you can apply to your own career. Maybe it'll help you avoid some of the pitfalls that we had to experience. I know uh, I have definitely had some pitfalls, so hopefully that'll help. The Career Musician Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. It's available. Like it, follow it, share it, download it, <laughs> leave a review. That helps us get higher ratings. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then Nomad and Lola. Yes, so Nomad and Lola is the duet that I was talking about with my wife. Um, people always ask me, how did you get the name Nomad? Well, I, I had more than 25 addresses by the time I was 30. I've moved around so much. My father's from Cuba. I'm from New York originally. I lived in uh, South Florida, Nashville, Japan, New York, everywhere doing gigs. I traveled, I've traveled the globe doing gigs everywhere from Zimbabwe to, you know, uh, Germany to wherever, Japan, East Asia, whatever. Been everywhere. So that's the nomad concept. And I believe that we're all modern day nomads as musicians. Um, we're always traveling. So Nomad and Lola, I met Lola and then I was like, wait a minute. This is magical because I swore to my wife I would never work with her in a musical context. And then I just kept hearing her sing and hearing her write songs. And I was like, okay, you're really talented. 
you can be in my band. <laughs> <laughs> and they are really talented. I, I saw I saw you guys uh, a few weeks back, and it was incredibly good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So we're, we're pushing that, nomadandlola.com, nom, at nomadandlola on Instagram and Facebook. We're just hustling gigs and, and performances. We're putting together some music. We have streaming music everywhere, Spotify, Apple Music, all that good stuff. So cool. cool. And yeah. just give us your socials one more time so people can connect directly with you. Yeah, my personal socials are at Nomad's Place. So okay. at Nomad's Place on IG, on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, YouTube as well. I'm gonna start building up my YouTube channel. So everything is at Nomad's Place. The Nomad Lola handles are at Nomad Lola everywhere. And mm -hmm. the career musician is at the career musician pretty much everywhere. Okay, so go check them out, Dave. And do we have time have... for online questions, or oh, do we need right, to wrap? Right, yeah, online questions. You know what? You guys haven't had any questions per se, but just a lot of support. People absolutely agreeing with you guys, thumbs upping, and, and just you awesome. know, saying cool. yes, yes, yes. Okay, so Good. we'll Great put it into the, to the wrap up. Um, anything else you want to? chime in with uh just this was an awesome conversation man i'm inspired talking to you it was great to meet you and same this, here this great yeah, yeah. so uh, go and go and follow nomad and nomad and lola and the career musician i mean you're going to be better for it uh, every time we talk man it's, it's I, know. I want more <laughs> so i know same I, I, here i appreciate you coming out and um all you guys out there keep learning keep growing and we'll talk to you soon Thanks for listening to Musician Mindset Podcast with Dave Johnstone and Jason Land. You can contact the show through Facebook and Instagram at Musician Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a written review and a five-star rating on iTunes.